You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside Joe Hopkins. I am Dave Griffiths. Our fearless veteran, Mike Chappell, Joe, is going to be uh, going to have a well-deserved day off this week. He's been doing a lot of great work online at fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. So uh, if you out there are are, are just Jones in for some chap. Head online there and check out his work. And among those, Joe is a fifty-three-man uh, roster. We already know is unfortunately not accurate—a prediction, which which happens this time of year, you know. Yeah, he had a prediction for the fifty-three-man roster. I believe he posted that on Sunday, um, and he had Mr. Roosevelt Nix making the team, mm-hmm. which we will get into a little mm-hmm. later. But he did not. But yeah, Chap's got all kinds of good stuff on there, and he'll probably have more coming out today. Big show coming out uh, for you today, one day early, just because uh, we want to give you a, a special gift this Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> you can. Uh, we will discuss the latest trading camp buzz, including some injury updates. We'll hear from head coach Frank Reich, quarterback Philip Rivers, predict some roster cuts, um, some surprise roster cuts, perhaps. Um, I don't think any of us are going to be too surprising. It's not like we're going to go out and say DeForest Buckner is just terrible. He, he he's not going to make the roster, but um, we'll get into some, maybe some surprise roster cuts. And also, the founder of the Roto Street Journal will join us on the show to talk a little bit of fantasy football with Joe. But first, we'll start with the news of the day. And for the news of the day, we begin with the Colts' Week One opponent, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Although the Colts have not won in Jacksonville for five years, Joe. I think this is probably their best opportunity to do so since 2014, that last win, because the Jaguars announced this week they have traded Pro Bowl defensive end Yannick Ngakwe to Minnesota. They have released running back Leonard Fournette. And Joe, I posted a a poll on Twitter this week. How many Jaguars can you name? The overwhelming majority of people said zero to three was the number of Jaguars that they could name. I'm actually embarrassed that I can name quite a bit i like this <laughs> joe's I, like i got 15 right now off the top of my head <laughs> no but they they've completely tore down the roster i mean it, this is almost like last year's miami dolphins team where they're tanking for tuna where it looks like the jaguars are probably tanking for trevor um we'll see what Minshew can do but he's gonna have to do a whole lot to fight off um trevor lawrence for that first overall pick everyone knew that yannick Ngakwe was incredibly unhappy in jacksonville so uh, the jags get a, a second round pick and a conditional fifth rounder for him you weren't gonna get a for if you got him for for full value you get a young defensive end pass rusher elite pass rusher in his prime which would be worth at least one number one pick but like I said, no no chance the Jaguars weren't going to get that when everybody else knew that he didn't want to be there. And also they needed to give him a long-term contract wherever he went because he's just going into a uh, franchise tag year. So he, saw, he, he turned down the franchise tag with Jacksonville, signed for about $5 million less reportedly with, with uh, the Vikings. Yeah, that's how bad he wanted out of Jacksonville. He'd take $5 million less dollars to play elsewhere. And the good news is Colts won't have to face him twice a year anymore. Um, they do still have to face him week two against Minnesota. He joins um, uh, Daniel Hunter as one of the best pass rushing duos in the league now. So Jacksonville's complete teardown. Hopefully for the Colts, that should be two easy wins this year. And also Leonard Fournette, like I mentioned, he was the fourth overall pick in 2017. He cleared waivers, is now a free agent. Uh, somebody will sign him for sure. Don't know who it's going to be. Um, he was drafted back in 2017 over guys like Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Christian McCaffrey, Jamal Adams. 
so as, as productive as he was in Jacksonville, he, he was uh, there were people there were better options after him. That, that's what happens every year in the draft. But Jacksonville just couldn't get things working with Fournette and with everything else. So they're just like you like we've said, we're starting from scratch. We, we don't need to go too much more into Jacksonville. But uh, the Colts, as we mentioned already, cut fullback. Excuse me, Roosevelt Nix, who signed with the team in April. We had, we had some good discussions about Rosie to see exactly what the Colts would want to do with him. But um, what what Frank Reich said, Joe, ultimately was with the truncated offseason, they wanted to get a two back system kind of into their offense somehow, but they just didn't have the time to do it. This cut was not a reflection, Reich said, on on, on Nix himself, more a reflection of the current state of affairs in the NFL. They just could not get a real two back set worked into the offense. Yeah, they couldn't add that additional you know, wrinkle, I guess you might say, with the less, you know, work that they were able to work on the offense this year. And while that does um unfortunate for Knicks, it does help some players like Jordan Wilkins, who's kinda on that bubble of making the team or not. So that is one roster spot that opens up for others. And Jordan Wilkins, I've been a big fan of his in the past. I mean he comes in and runs for five yards of carry. That that's not too shabby yeah. in, in his very limited work. So um, so Roosevelt Nick's gone. Uh, rookie safety Julian Blackman was taken off the non-football injury list on Sunday. We've gotten we've uh, been able to see the rookie out of Utah practice a little bit. He's definitely taking it slow right now, Joe. He tore his ACL in December, so this is what nine months, eight months, something like that. Um, I'm not doing the math quickly. I just that's just a quick guess. That's not why they pay us. Exactly. No. And uh, Blackman says he feels about ninety to ninety-five percent. Coaches aren't sure when he'll be one hundred percent, and even when he's one hundred, they're still going to take it slow with him because I mean he's a rookie. He had no off-season program. This is the first time he's really getting thrown into the fire. Um, I, I assume that with, with the with the players that they have, you have a Malik Hooker, you have Kari Willis, who's flexible, who can play both safety positions. Uh, you have George Oden, who's been here for a while. You have guys that have experience in the Colts secondary at safety. You don't need to throw him in right away. So take it slow. Give him a little bit right now and then see what he can do with that little bit. Maybe we'll see him sometime in the first month of the season. Yeah, this is a guy who you kind of expect as the year goes on, his he'll get more and more snaps as he gets integrated into the defense. And really, this is just kind of a year to maybe get his feet wet a little bit in the league. And then next year is when, I mean, he might have a chance to start if Malik Cooker's not here. I was going to say, by the end of the year, you need to be giving him, if you think that, if the Colts think that he could potentially replace Malik Cooker, you need to be giving him a whole lot more at the end of the year than you are going to be at the beginning of the year. And given Hooker's injury history, he might be thrust into that role anyway. So we'll just have to see how it goes. It's encouraging that he's at least getting onto the practice field before the season starts. I'm going to make one note that, oh, wait, that's later anyway. So uh, that's that's later in the show. So we'll, we'll get to that eventually that I was thinking of. But uh, more to... Uh, uh, the immediate future, our uh, COVID-19 update. The Colts hope to have 15% capacity about a game. That's about 10,000 people inside Lucas Oil Stadium, Joe, with a capacity of about 70,000. Um, home opener week two against Minnesota. Uh, the Colts could be in the minority. There's already 25 of 32 NFL teams have announced that uh, they are not going to uh, have fans at at least the start of their season. The Colts could be one of the seven that do if, in fact, that they are able to fall into local regulations and uh, get things approved by the right people. 10,000 people at Lucas Oil Stadium week one is a possibility. Yeah, and it, it seems like a lot of people when, you know, considering all the, uh, you know, our COVID minds, anything more than a few dozen people seems like 
a mass amount. But when you consider how big Lucas Oil is and if they do the right precautions, they might be able to do this safely within the guidelines as long as they spread people out. It would certainly help downtown businesses if they were able to do this. So we'll see. I'm hoping fans can be there, but you got to take things one day at a time during a pandemic. Yeah, I'm optimistic right now that, uh, I mean, if things fall into place from, like, I think the Colts can do it. I think it's a matter of whether they will be allowed to do it by by the mayor's office, by uh, the Department of Health, whatever it might be. So if they if they get the right approval, I, I have every confidence that you can get 10,000 people inside Lucas Oil Stadium and be kind of separate. Uh, it's just a matter of, what, like I said, whether they're going to be allowed to do it. And, and if they're not allowed to do it, well, then they did everything they possibly could. If, if, if they are, then fantastic. We'll see how it works. And I'm, you know, it doesn't seem like the NFL is going to put the kibosh on this either. They haven't come out. I would think they would have done it already, right? Yeah, you would think that if, you know, 20, 25 uh, teams have already said for opening week they're not going to have fans, the NFL might make a decision and say, all right, nobody can have fans in the stands for at least the first week or however long they need to. Um, but it seems like they're going to let teams kind of do whatever their local governments will allow. That first game of the season is exactly eight days away as we record this podcast. Thursday night special next weekend. The Colts are just uh, uh, 11 days away, I guess, as as we record this podcast. So, yeah, the, the time has come and gone, I would think, for, for the NFL to, to step up and, and put a blanket uh, ruling over everything. So so here we go. Um, we will probably have some fans around the NFL in the first couple weeks. And heck, I mean, even at Lucas Oil Stadium, there have been fans out there for uh, Indy 11 matches. And I think I've said this on this podcast. If not, I've certainly said it back in the sports office when we're just talking about things. It would be supremely awkward to have Indy 11 games with fans at Lucas Oil Stadium and Colts games without fans at Lucas Oil Stadium. That, to me, Joe, would just be incredibly odd just because of the disparity between the two leagues. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how you make that logic work. If, if you can have fans, I understand way more fans are going to show up for the Colts game, and you can limit that number to whatever you need to. But if you can have fans for the Indy 11 probably have fans for the Colts. So let's hope that they can at least have that 15% capacity that they're aiming for. Again, that's about 10,000 fans in the stands for week two, that home opener against Minnesota, when, like you said, Joe, they will, in fact, have uh, Yannick Ngakwe uh, right here uh, inside Lucas Oil Stadium. So he he might not be uh, seeing the Colts twice this year, but uh, Anthony Costanzo will still have to deal with him a little bit there in week two. Let's move on to our training camp buzz. The Colts simulated a game scenario with their final training camp practice at Lucas Oil Stadium over the weekend. Let's hear from head coach Frank Reich about the work his team was able to do inside their home stadium. All right, guys. Um, second second day down at Lucas Oil. Um, really got a lot done. Excited about uh, the work we got done out there. Uh, it's kind of mission accomplished, getting through um, the game-like routine of the day. That went well. I think we get a comfort level of what that routine looks like. So that was very, very important. Seems like a little minor detail, but very important just to put us in the right frame of mind. Um, you know, secondly, it was really, you know, made big plays, uh, you know, in all phases. So that was good. You know, we're looking for playmakers, guys who can make big plays. There was plenty of that to go around out there today. And also was looking for, you know, offensively, just the goal, you know, last Monday, thought we ran the ball pretty well down here. So today there was a little bit of an emphasis on the pass game, wanted to get a rhythm pass game going. Felt like we were able to do that um, for the most part. Felt pretty good about that. Thought the defense looked good and sharp, you know, making plays. The other thing we did was, you know, we had three kind of long extended drives really for conditioning purposes, you know, in the heat 
we'll be down in Jacksonville in two weeks and, uh, you know, wanting to get ready for that. So, um, and then some good stuff on special teams as well. Um, so all in all, a good day. The offensive line seems to be, you know, doing their thing. Um, you know, I feel like our work on combination blocks has been really good. Um, you know, we've had some good work in gap scheme stuff, zones, zone scheme stuff. I feel like we're in sync. I feel like we're um, where we should be, uh, considering we're two weeks away from the season. And, um, you know, I think in a passing game, um, you know, we just continue to get better and better and find that rhythm. And so I think today was a really good day for that. You know, we've had a lot of good work there and are you know, very confident that the passing game is going to be strong. Obviously, Phillip is, um, you know, top-notch. He's elite accuracy. And our receivers today look really good, you know, running strong. And then we get Zach back and we get Paris back. Um, and obviously, those are two good players for us. That was head coach Frank Reich about the Colts' work inside Lucas Oil Stadium. Joe, their second and final practice inside Lucas Oil. Um, both of them we got to see. Uh, well, again, you can log on. I would log on to Twitter if you have not and follow our Mike Chapel at mchapel51, who gave a great breakdown, like all, not play-by-play, play, but certain certainly main point-by-main main point what he was able to see uh, as he was out there for the entire thing. Um, you, you get to see some 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 promising things out there, like what you see Philip Rivers and T.Y. Hilton working together. Uh, but but just to see guys in a game scenario, um, which you don't get obviously with uh, without the preseason, uh, those two practices that the Colts had at Lucas Oil Stadium are, are probably their most important uh, most important two practices in terms of being fully ready week one than any other work that they've done this uh, this uh, last month. Yeah, not only you know just for acting like you're in a game scenario, but the routine leading up to the game that you would play you don't want uh players feeling like that's a foreign routine especially the new players or the the rookies out there so get everyone used to getting ready for the game get everyone in that um live game situation with no preseason is pretty big and then you know, as fans, it's always nice to see what the big takeaways that Mike Chappell and others are tweeting out. And I mentioned one of the takeaways was that rapport being built between T.Y. Hilton and Phillip Rivers. You figure, Joe, going in, these guys are two veterans in the NFL. They've both had quite a bit of success in the league uh, with, with obviously different players around them. But put them together and you think it's going to be good, right? And, and it comes out that uh, it, it has been pretty good so far. Here's Phillip Rivers talking about uh, how he has built that relationship with T.Y. Hilton and uh, what's been working so far as uh, the season gets closer. Well, uh, first thing that really I think it, the first thing I would say is uh, what a great competitor he is. Uh, that's, I, I, that stood out to me uh, very early on uh, getting to know him. And I think all great players, they're great competitors. Uh, and so he, he certainly has that trait. Um, also, you know, the, 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 better, the best receivers I've been around, they have a great feel for the game. And, and T.Y. has that, just whether it be throttling on a route or being ready for a back shoulder or, um, you know, kind of that a little bit of that uh, unspoken communication that you kind of have that we kind of can get on the same page. And so we've been able to have some of those type moments throughout training camp. And uh, that'll only continue to grow. But it was uh, it was nice to uh, push it down the field to him, uh, you know, on the one today, and and um, you know, kind of getting a little bit of a rhythm because uh, I just think um, it certainly as a passer, you you get it's a little bit like a jump shooter, you know, as you get rolling. Uh, and and we weren't great today by any means, but there there were certain drives where we kind of gotten a little bit of a rhythm. And I do think uh, I kind of mentioned to him, I was like, hey, we get going like this now, we're going to be tough to stop. So. Um, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of guys are going to touch the ball, and uh, but certainly having 
uh, a playmaker and receiver of his caliber uh, on the field uh, certainly is a big plus. That was Colts quarterback Philip Rivers talking about his relationship with T.Y. Hilton and uh, Joe. Most of the quarter, or most of the receivers, rather that that Philip has had the greatest amount of success with in the past have been big guys. You're talking Vincent Jackson. You're talking more recently Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. Um, but but T.Y. is a completely different breed. But still, he's a guy that is that is a great NFL wide receiver. He's a Pro Bowl wide receiver. So even though it's not exactly the the mold that Philip Rivers is used to in his career, it's still a guy that you'd expect them to have success together. And it looks like they're they are building that relationship right now. Yeah, he's not a guy that you know he's probably going to be throwing a lot of jump balls up to. But um, I remember Nick Sirianni talking earlier in the off season how um, even though he's much bigger, Tyrell Williams has a lot of speed, and he would he's envisions using ty on similar routes across the field with all that speed um i believe they had travis benjamin for a while in uh charger land as well and uh he's a guy who has a lot of speed too that you know they could use on similar routes so yeah they won't be throwing the 50 balls to ty hilton but he's going to get open um he's a great route runner um so he's going to be able to run those underneath routes kind of similar to Keenan Allen was. And I really think the pass offense is going to flow through Hilton. He's going to get targeted a lot. On the other side of the ball, defense is looking pretty good. The The front, especially the defensive line, Joe, is where we've uh, we've said all all summer long and all this uh, this early camp that uh, th- that's probably going to be one of the, the deepest parts of uh, the Colts, the, one of the deepest areas of, um, that they have. They, they could even be able to trade some guys in there. It, like if Chris Bowd were coming up to the, uh, the weekend cuts, that uh, if you have a surplus of talent, you might be able to get rid of somebody there for, for a draft pick in the future that you're able to, uh, to, to use to, to whatever your advantage is. But, of course, the leader uh, or one of the leaders of that defensive line unit is the guy you just traded a first-round pick for this past offseason, DeForest Buckner. And uh, head coach Frank Reich has been uh, very happy with how Buckner has looked so far. Yeah, I think DeForest has really asserted himself. I mean, literally, every day he's practiced. You just feel his presence out there. This guy's a game. I think he's going to be a game wrecker. And um, he's a leader. He's just so long. He's so long. And, and then he's he's strong. He's smart. He's unselfish. He, he, knows his, he's, he knows his assignment. You know, he eats up. If he's not wrecking a game, he's eating up blockers to get somebody else free. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what he does on our defense. And how not just the force, but how that whole defensive line plays. I think that's going to be a big time strength of ours. And I think it has a lot of depth. And I think our D line is really going to shine this year. And um, and I think the move that you know that Chris made to get the forest is really gonna show itself out to be, you know, the right move that we needed at the right time to get that three technique, a dominant three technique to to really set that whole defensive line off and the linebackers. And the secondary. I mean, it's it's key, and you got a you got a dominant player there, and um, and and he looks he looks dominant out on the practice field every day. So, really excited about what he's going to bring to the table. That was Colts head coach Frank Reich about DeForest Buckner and Joe. If if the Colts defense wants to be where uh, it wants to be this year, if they want to get there, the DeForest Buckner is 
is, if not the key cog, one of the key cogs to taking it just to that next level and being a, a perennial top five or top ten defense in the NFL. Yeah, you know, you get excited thinking about what Buckner himself can do, but then when you consider what he'll free up other players to do, right? Talked about the rest of the defensive line, the linebackers, and even the secondary. All their jobs are easier with a dominant force like DeForest Buckner. So Colts fans should be really excited. I know sometimes it's easy to like sleep on an interior defensive lineman, but he is a huge addition and um, probably one of the bigger trades Colts have made in some time. I'm eager to see. I'm probably honestly the biggest trade I was just thinking since the Trent Richardson trade, because that was a first round pick uh, back then for Trent. And that's uh, that, that would be just as soon forgotten, I'm sure. Let's hope this one works out a little bit better. Uh, a little bit better <laughs> among Colts Nation. So back to the offensive side of the ball. The Colts' uh, first pick in the draft, a second rounder, excuse me, from this past year, Michael Pittman Jr., uh, coming along perhaps a bit slowly in camp. He's certainly not out there wowing people every day. He's not out there making these high-flying catches or... Or, or what have you. It's not like you, you turn your head and, oh, shoot, he's making a play. Like, Darius Leonard was kind of like that in his first camp. Like, you turned your head and Darius Leonard was making a play. Uh, but uh, Michael Pittman Jr., not quite doing that. He's coming along perhaps a bit slowly. But here's Frank Reich about the Colts' first, uh, first pick in this past draft, Michael Pittman Jr. Yeah, I think he's got really good hands. And, um, you know, I think he's just going to get better and better as, as time goes on. Um, he looked good out there today. He's had a couple drops, but um, he works hard. He works hard at it. And once, um, you know, once you get through the process of mentally having to process through so much stuff, and, you know, I think he, you can see Michael getting more and more comfortable with the offense and knowing his assignment and not having to think so much. And I think as he gets more and more comfortable, um, then you're going to see his physical talent, um, including his, um, how good his hands are, will, will just completely take over. That was Colts head coach Frank Reich about wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. And I, Joe, I don't think you can you, – you're certainly not throwing in the towel on Pittman Jr., even though he's not uh, exactly – you know, wowing and, uh, and people during during this camp. But um, as I think we have said on this podcast, I know at least I've said it uh, at some time that uh, rookies, you should temper your expectations with rookies this year because of the offseason that they have had. If some rookie comes in and has a great year, great. But you can't just you can't just discount rookies based on if they're coming along a little bit slowly. Um, the Colts drafted Michael Pittman Jr. because they really do believe that he's going to be, after T.Y. Hilton is gone, uh, really the main guy out there. Um, so uh, e even if it's a little bit slow to the uptake, be patient is all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, especially some of the positions with a little more nuance, like wide receiver. I expect the running rookie running backs to still do well. Jonathan Taylor, you know. Uh, Joe thinks there's no nuance to being a running back in the NFL. Okay. I said not as much <laughs> as wide receiver. You got to be you got to be synced up with your quarterback. You got to learn the route. You, you, there's just a lot more to learn where Jonathan Taylor, he, he didn't forget how to run the ball. He didn't forget how to juke people. So um, be patient with Michael Pittman Jr. I think as the season goes along. And Frank Wright mentioned – once he gets it down, he doesn't have to think of it, and he, he can just let his play, his natural play, come out. Um, he'll he'll make a few more plays out there. But patience with Michael Pittman Jr. Um, 
I think right now Paris Campbell is squarely ahead of him, and Zach Pascoe might be as well. I think Pascal and Pittman Jr. will probably share snaps entering the season. Here's an update on the Colts kicking competition. Rodrigo Blankenship had a pretty good day on Saturday. Six for seven from the field. Chase McLaughlin took a step back from the first time out at Lucas Oil. He was four for seven. Uh, here's head coach Frank Reich on the kicking competition. It's, you know, it's exciting. It's good for the team. It's good for those guys. Two good kickers. These are, these are two NFL kickers right here. These guys both need to be playing in the league. Um, they're doing a great job. Um, you know, we're just going to continue to evaluate everything, but they're handling it very well. Um, so I look forward to seeing the film from today, seeing the times and the kick charts and all that stuff, but they're handling it very well. That was head coach Frank Reich talking about that kicking competition. Rodrigo Blankenship, Chase McLaughlin could be, Joe, the most important decision that the Colts make uh, that Frank Reich and Chris Ballard and whoever it is, uh, Bubba Ventrone, the special teams coordinator this year, because it, it is the one position that is going to be involved on plays where points are always on the line. Yeah, and you just think about how many games the Colts lost because of poor kicking last year. Um, it's huge. It's a huge competition. Um, I'm kind of happy to see my boy blank and chip sneaking back in there, but really what I'd like to see more than anything is one player kind of solely run away with this competition. Um, Frank Wright said these are both NFL kickers, so hopefully he's correct. And whichever guy the Colts go with will be a good kicker for them. Um, hopefully it's a good problem to have, not, oh crap, n- neither of these guys are doing so great. And, and as our Mike Chappell has, has said, I believe on this podcast again, but but certainly to us saying how you make the kicks is important. It's not just strictly makes, oh, it's good. So anything that's good is the same. It's how the ball sound coming off your foot. Does it? split the uprights and would have had 20 more yards or does it barely sneak in uh, left or right Um, and he has said throughout camp that he just feels Chase McLaughlin's a little bit of head a little bit ahead of hot rod Um, we'll we'll see if the Colts agree with that by this weekend because as we have said uh, Saturday cut down to 53 so there's a lot of big decisions coming Uh, who else is impressing who else is disappointment you can check out Mike Chappell's work online fox59.com cbs4indy.com he's been out at uh, as many practices as as we've been allowed to so he's been the one to to really have his eyes on things so check out his work and his twitter at mchappell51 for that Um, let's check out the uh, injury update Joe that uh, the Colts have right now Paris Campbell Uh, Wore a red practice jersey on Tuesday, still in the NFL's concussion protocol after his car accident. We anticipate that, of course, if things move along well with with his concussion, that he'll be back out for week one for sure. And uh, if Michael Pittman Jr. is just a step behind everybody now, that means Paris Campbell is a step ahead. You got T.Y., you got Pascal, you got Paris. Those are really your three top wide receivers heading into week one. And I'd anticipate that he's going to get some work, assuming he's healthy. Yeah, absolutely. And those underneath routes, as long as he can stay healthy. I mean, you just think about how exciting he looked in the Pittsburgh game last year, making all those plays in the open space. Um, If they can keep this guy healthy and give him a role in the offense, that could really open things up for other players. Colts certainly plan to have Trey Burton have a significant role in the offense, but a strained calf at Saturday's practice. Coach Reich says he's week to week. Uh, Coaches might be high on Trey Burton, but he had injury issues last year. It was a calf last year, so that immediately raises some red flags right now. Yeah, you know, you hope that this doesn't continue with Burton and that this is why he was such a cheap free agent and this is why the Bears are done with him. Um, Because right now, this tight end group is looking pretty thin. You got 
Doyle, you got Ali Cox behind him, and then not a not like, a whole eh, lot else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so maybe the Colts will sign somebody after other teams also do their roster cuts. Um, they'll pick up a tight end from somewhere else, but uh, Colts fans should be praying that Burton comes back sooner rather than later. I know on our Mike Chappell's 53-man roster prediction, I think he had Farad Green there, a rookie, and which would be a rookie free agent, I believe. So that would continue the streak of Colts rookie free agents, undrafted rookie free agents, to uh, 22 years, I believe. 21 or 22 years is what it would be if, if indeed he sneaks in. So um, so that, that's, that's entirely possible, that, uh, that fourth tight end spot, which they've had four tight ends each of the last two years um, on, uh, on the roster. So I'd anticipate that's going to be the same thing again this year. Uh, Sheldon Day making progress, getting closer, said Coach Frank Reich said he suffered a freak knee injury early on in camp. So uh, we'll be eager to see how the former Warren Central standout um, does in terms of getting back onto the field. I don't think it doesn't sound like he's going to be ready week one, at least just listening to uh, to to Reich and using uh, just a little bit of logic. Kenny Moore back out there practice after injuring his groin. And as we know, Colts need Kenny Moore back in the lineup Four out of the last five games last year, 30 plus points when uh, Moore was uh, suffering that ankle injury. So uh, you you need one of your best players on the field. I I saw uh, I'll say this quickly. I saw a top 25 cornerback list on pro football focus on Twitter that I that I perused through and. Uh, Kenny Moore was not on that list, which made me quite yeah, exactly. Uh, Joe Joe just gave me a look. It was like, eh, well, yeah. I mean, you, you don't make a guy the highest paid slot corner in the NFL last year if he's not one of the top twenty five corners in in the league. I know slot corners might not get the love that some boundary corners do, Joe, but I would I would certainly think that that Kenny Moore deserves to be on a top twenty five list. Yeah, even. I- Pro football focus is weird because it's like, what are they basing this off of they for do. their list? Their grading They're, scale? They do or? some really good stuff there. You kind of take some of the stuff they do with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah, you have to. I, I think, you know, are there 25 boundary cornerbacks that are a better football player than Kenny Moore? The answer is no. If you want to argue that a boundary corner is more valuable than a slot corner, I mean, I, I guess you could make that argument. I would say... You know, there's a lot of good slot receivers in the NFL these days, too. So you need to cover that position as well. I would say Kenny Moore is definitely top 20 in the league. Surprise roster cuts now. The Colts must whittle the roster down to 53 by 4 o'clock on Saturday, September 5th. As I mentioned, Joe, I don't think we're going to see any too surprising roster cuts. Uh, But nevertheless, there could still be some spots there that are more surprising than others. Um, our, our Mike Chapel thinks that Jacob Eason's going to make this roster and Chad Kelly is, is off the roster. But if you need a spot because of some injuries to slide somebody in there, it, it, it would be tempting to try to only carry Rivers and Brissett for week one and maybe cut both Eason and Kelly and just have one or two of them on the practice squad, which you have a couple more players. So I, I think Jacob Eason would be a very big surprise roster cut, but he's perhaps the most likely big name, quote unquote, that that could get cut if indeed the Colts are really feeling froggy and trying to sneak one in there. Yeah, and if you know they saw what he did at camp and said, "And this guy's not our future," um, maybe they think it's worth it letting him go. I would be surprised by that. The player I'm going with is Denico Autry. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Colts signed Buckner to replace him as the starter in that position in the defense. Um, Tyquan Lewis, by all accounts, has had an excellent training camp. And, you know, I think the Colts are going to lean towards the younger uh, player who they invested more draft capital in, and Lewis, if he's looking good, than Autry. Autry's up there in age. He's in the final year of his contract. He had that good nine-sack season a couple years ago. 
fell back to earth in 2019. So I think Danico Autry is a player who might get the boot. I wouldn't be surprised if the if he is very much on the trading block right now. If the Colts can get a fourth or fifth round pick for Danico Autry, I think, Joe, that they, they might really strongly consider that with a guy like Lewis having a great camp. With your draft pick, Robert Windsor, I, I, I've heard uh, Matt Eberflus talk glowingly about Robert Windsor and what he's able to do. And he's not going to see the field if Danico Autry and Tyquan Lewis and Sheldon Day is healthy. And of course, Grover Stewart and uh, DeForest Buckner are, are, are out there. So that, that's, that's entirely possible. Yeah, they might decide to go young here, and they might decide that you know the players that they have are better. So yeah. I, I think Autry, if he if he's not traded, might be cut. So now, we, as we said earlier, our Joe Hopkins spoke with the uh, Wolf of Roto Street earlier, uh, and so let's let's listen to what they have to say about fantasy football and in terms of how it lines up with the Horseshoe for twenty twenty. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast Mr. Nick Trakoff, a.k.a. the Wolf of Roto Street and the founder of Roto Street Journal. Wolf, how you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. Great to see you. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk some Colts and fantasy here, my dude. Yeah, you know, we got the season. It, it's just over a week away, and I yes. thought, you know, why not, why not get the Wolf on here and give us his last-minute fantasy takes? I know a bunch of people have drafts um, going on at this time, so let's into it um philip rivers he's you know had his fantasy relevant years in the past 2018 was a pretty good year for him uh last year not so much do you think he has any fantasy relevance at all in 2020 or is he someone that you know fantasy players should completely avoid i'm personally avoiding him and that doesn't mean i don't think he could be successful real life wise i think he's going to be solid for what the colts want they want to pound the rock get some good play action going control the game kind of drive it control that pace of play i think he'll be great for that i don't know that the fantasy stats are going to be there i don't think he still has that you know cannon arm to to rope it for those huge games he did have some very successful seasons under frank reich so there there are some narratives he's going to be playing behind the best line of his career so ultimately there's plenty of things to like about him but i think based on what i expect the Colts to be about and I'm not sure what you think either you're, you're more tapped in than I am I think it's going to be more of a game managing rivers he's going to be very solid real life wise but quarterbacks just so deep in fantasy that I target the huge ceilings especially if I'm going late so I have rivers right around like QB 25 26 so you know ultimately 24 guys I have above him I'm not going to land rivers in any leagues it just there's no real ceiling in my opinion yeah I agree with you on that one I mean He's probably not going to have too many games with 300 passing yards or three or more passing touchdowns. And without the rushing upside, you know, he's going to get you your 14 points a week. And that's really not helping you too much. So let's yeah. move on to the juicy topic here and talk running backs. I, I know yeah. you're really high on Jonathan Taylor. Just go ahead and give me your takes on this backfield, who you're targeting and who you might be avoiding. Yeah, I, I love Jonathan Taylor. I, I know it's expected to be a split committee, and I think it will be. But ultimately, you know, the athletic Zach Kiefer's kind of pointing out he expects this to be a hot hand approach. Don't be the quote surprised if the rookie has a few breakout games and Reich just stays with him. And I think he's going to have breakout games right off the bat. I mean, you get 
the Jaguars week one, you get a depleted Vikings defense week two, and then you get the Jets week three. I think he's going to steamroll all of them. This is a generational rushing talent that averaged over 2,000 total yards at Wisconsin, now playing behind the best offensive line in football, according to Pro Football Focus, and really just anybody with eyeballs can see how mauling they are. So to me, he's kind of become, even with limited receiving upside, Taylor's kind of become my round three smash button. I love going running back, running back, and then running back again in round three because I think the running back quality just drops off so severely. And Taylor's kind of that last guy. If I can especially get him as a three so I can have the patience for that hot hand to get established and for him to really take over, I absolutely love him because I think it's going to be much sooner than later. And that obviously leaves me a little bit down on Marlon Mack. I know he's going to enter the season as the starter. He'll see his carries. And I think Mack is a, a good player. Player. I just think Taylor is a whole different level from him. My biggest worry, I guess, with Taylor and with and this is why I'm also really down on Mac. You know, he'll get those touches in between the 20s. I think you go to your stallion Taylor at the goal line, but then also Naeem Hines. Uh, the reports lately are this guy is all over the, the the place and can't moving. You know, all over the formation. Nobody's caught more passes from Philip River. The Athletic was saying so. To me, you know, this guy's going to get the third down touches. Naeem Hines. He's now become a a guy I like around pick 100, 110 is like a late round penny stock because receptions are so valuable, especially in PPR leagues. I think 2.73 times more valuable than a carry. Uh, Scott Barrett kind of deduced when he did his old analytics. So I like the late round value of Hines a lot. I like the early round value of uh, Jonathan Taylor. And that kind of just leaves Mac on the outside looking in for me. I will not have him anywhere, but I, I find myself landing both the other guys quite often. Yeah, I got to say, I Jonathan Taylor is the player you want. He has the most upside out of this group. You know, Mac kind of had the opportunity to run away with it last year, and he was solid, but not n- not that, you know, game-breaking player um, that everyone thinks Jonathan Taylor could be. You mentioned round three. Um, that seems a little steep for me Some for someone who week to week you don't know how many touches he's going to get, but I guess it all depends on what running backs are on the board. So in your rankings, who who do you have like right ahead of them and who do you have right behind Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's like 14 backs that are, you know, first and second round locks, the early bell cows. I want to get two of those guys kind of starting with obviously McCaffrey. Then you go down through your Saquons, your Mixins, your Henrys, uh, Austin Eckler. I put in there, Kenyon Drake. And then towards the bottom, I've got, you know, Miles Sanders, potential three down back, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, and then Josh Jacobs is 14. And I think those are your, your, you know, first two round locks. And if you can get two of those guys, you're in great shape. If somehow one of them falls to round three and you get three, even better. Then I have Taylor right there at 15, right after those guys, uh, starting off that next tier. And again, I love getting him as my third guy, running back, running back. And then you, you give yourself a little bit of time to let him develop. Uh, so that gives me, you know, five spots higher than the ECR. He's right around 20 in ADP. Uh, I have Carson, you know, Connor, Gurley right below him. But to me, I want that young stallion, the fresh guy, you know, behind the best line. We know all those three guys. Yeah, they got some upside. We've seen them all dominate at different times. But I'd rather have the unknown here than the health risks that come with each of them. The, you know, just they're they're older. They're more brittle. I I want the young, fresh stallion behind that line. Give me Taylor at 15 right after those uh, those big, you know, top two running back, uh, top two round guys. You got your eyes fixated on the shiny new toy there. Yes, um, I do. <laughs> Naheem Hines is a player who's very interesting to me. He 
you know, the quote that was floated out there all throughout the offseason, Frank Wright talking about he's going to have some games where he has 10 catches. But my issue is you don't know what games those are going to be. Maybe he has a little more consistency with Phillip Rivers, and it was more of an issue of Jacoby Brissett and Andrew Luck don't, you know, dump the ball off to the running backs quite as much as he does. Mm -hmm. But Hines is one of those players who, yeah, he's going to have his, you know, big breakout games, but they're almost going to come at random. At least that's what we've seen in the past with Naheem Hines. So I would just caution anybody who goes after him. um, It's going to be tough to predict when those weeks are going to come with Naheem Hines. Um, Let's move on. But I I do think um, the one thing I would say there is as best ball becomes more and more popular, which is essentially if anybody listening hasn't played it and DraftKings and underdog, there's all these new sites emerging as best ball, you know, big industry guys here. It's you draft a guy and then the the computer kind of automatically just picks your top lineup for you and what what would be your highest scoring one. So you don't have to do the and that's part of the fun of fantasy is managing your team, being the coach, making the right decisions. But there is some kind of fun on the other end of it where you're going to always get your best lineup. And there's definitely, as you said, some weeks where he catches 10 balls on DraftKings, that's full PPR. You can get him in round 12. You know, he'll, he's going to be in your lineup four five, six times, probably across the year as a, a round 10 running back pick. So I really like that. And I think Philip Rivers, you know, his history targeting those pass catching backs will hopefully steady that out and give you more than just a few blowups that it might be, you know, half or so of the games are, are pretty solid value from him. We'll see. But I love him in best ball, especially. I do agree with that. If you can get him in best ball, not have to, you know, flip the coin of, is this going to be a four or five point game or a 14 to 20 point game from Naheem Hines? Cause there's not always a lot of in between with him. Um, right. Let's talk about wide receivers now. Um, obviously T Y Hilton is at the top of the Colts receiving depth chart. Then you got Paris Campbell who reports from camp have been good so far. Um, dealing with a concussion right now after a car accident, but Hopefully, um, you know, he gets cleared from that pretty soon. Um, What are your takes on this wide receiver group? Uh, It's going to be interesting because, again, as I was saying with Rivers, I don't know that I expect a huge aerial pie here. I think it's going to be a very efficient attack. I think every week there's going to be a solid performance. But I don't know if there's anyone outside of T.Y. And you wrote a great article on our site, RotoStreetJournal.com, kind of breaking down his upside. I like that they're still calling him kind of the alpha. The offense is going to run through him. I think he still will be that guy. So I like T.Y. Hilton. I think he's pretty underpriced right now going in, you know, the bottom around five, early round six. It's tricky because there's other upside names. Like if McLaurin's there, I'm going McLaurin. I, I'm kind of liking, again, similar to Jonathan Taylor. I, I just want the young, fresh new toys. I'm always a sucker for those. Those guys. So like even Marquise Brown, who brings a lot of that like similar deep separation type of uh, attributes, I might go over Hilton. But still, I see him falling to you know round five or six again in best ball too, where you don't have to predict the blowups. He's gonna obviously have his monster days like he usually does. But what what's left for behind him? I see everybody loves. Michael Pittman, everyone loves Paris Campbell. How could there be this many blowups? And then everybody also loves Hines to catch a million balls and loves Taylor to run for 2,000 yards. It's like, where is all this offense coming from? Is Rivers just going to be that much of a renaissance? Because he didn't look great by any means last year. Uh, again, real life-wise, I think he'll be solid. He'll get the ball there. But aren't all the reports that like the tight ends are getting peppered? That's typically you know a Frank Reich thing coming over from the Eagles where we saw Ertz and, and Burton and all those guys have monster seasons together so if those guys are getting a ton of volume then ty is the alpha and then you know Hines is catching a million balls and it's a, a lot of dinking dunking 
how much is going to be left for Pittman and Campbell to really carve out anything meaningful or consistent? I don't know. I, I just don't see it too much. Yeah, I got to agree with you there. I mean, people like to talk about, you know, Philip Rivers and the underneath passing game in this offense and, oh, how he loves throwing to the running backs and he's always targeted his tight ends. Um, and then Paris Campbell is a guy who's, you know, at Ohio State thrived on that underneath work. Well, there's only so many balls to go around. I guess yeah. the good news would mean that would leave the deep stuff for uh, T.Y. Hilton. Um, I feel like the only question with Hilton is injuries. You know, I, yeah. he's not he doesn't have the injury prone label quite yet, but they're starting to add up now. So if he gets hurt again, age, I believe, 31, he's going to be if he's not already. Um, if Hilton can stay healthy throughout the whole year, I would almost guarantee you, I would guarantee you a top 24 wide receiver out of T.Y. Hilton. Um, I, I think his targets under Frank Wright, I believe he's averaging over eight targets per game with Wright, whether that's Luck or Brissett. So I just see mm -hmm. T.Y. Hilton as a clear established number one in a large separation between him and the next guy in that target share. And I don't think there's too many other offenses that you could say that about. I would agree with you. I would rather target uh, Terry McLaurin or DJ Chark over T.Y. Hilton. Yeah. Um, but but he's right after those guys, and it's just because he's a little older and he's had a few injuries over the past few years. If, um, if he were to go down, who do you think it would be kind of Pittman to take over? He he does intrigue me a lot, that big body. Like, you know, they were raving about him as the next Vincent Jackson from Frank Wright kind of compared those two. And we saw, you know, Vincent Jackson have some monster seasons. It, it's definitely a different element that we've seen that, they, that they've had these last couple of years, that big body and that alpha speed. Like, could he, with or without a T.Y. Hilton, do you see any kind of situation where Pittman does carve out like a, a beastly season like a michael thomas style rookie breakout at all i loved Pittman entering the draft i was thrilled when the colts took him um reports for camp are kind of that he's coming along slowly not necessarily uh. that he's struggling but he's not really you know all the hype and buzz is more towards paris campbell and gotcha. jonathan taylor and things have been quiet around michael Pittman. so you know, as a rookie wide receiver, learning the new offense, not much of an offseason, I think he's a player who's going to take some time to really work in there. So if T.Y. Hilton went down, you know, week two and Pittman was thrust out there, I, I think it would be tougher for him to establish himself. But if it's, you know, week 10 and T.Y. Hilton goes down and Pittman's kind of built a bit of a rapport, I certainly think he's a guy who, especially in the red zone, could get a lot of targets, you know, for those touchdowns. Um, I think if Hilton goes down, the number one receiver would technically be Paris Campbell, but mm -hmm. it'd be more of a platoon. Zach Pascal's still there, too, and the Colts love his reliability, even though he's not much of a game-breaker. Um, so at, at this point, week one, if Hilton was out, I would say it'd be Campbell, and then Pascal and Pittman kind of share that second receiver spot. Um, Interesting. But I do like, you know, you were talking about best ball. I do like Paris Campbell for those best ball slots just because he has a speed where, you know, he doesn't need a ton of targets in the offense. He might catch mm -hmm. three balls for 120 yards just because he's breaking those long ones. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, before we move on, where do you have these guys ranked? You got T.Y. Yeah, let me pull up the big board here. I have T.Y. I know it's like right around 24. So let me okay. pull it up here. T.Y. Hilton. Um, I have him at 27, just as I was saying, right below Marquise Brown, uh, right ahead of Tyler Boyd. So a little bit below, you know, I, I'm down on Juju. I have Juju at 25, um, Keenan Allen, D 
DJ Chark, some of those guys we talked about, I have, you know, a bit above Hilton. And then right below him, I have like Diggs, Landry, Edelman, uh, Cooks. I have Hilton like a tier above that th- that tier alongside those like upside. If I can get this guy's my wide receiver three, I'm thrilled type of tier. Whereas the tier below him is like, okay, I'll accept these guys as my wide receiver three, but not quite um, – as juicy, if that makes sense. Uh, the, the ceiling's just not there. Whereas, as you said, Hilton could be a true wide receiver one um, this year if he just maintains his health. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's fair. Kind of that borderline wide receiver too, just given all the questions about new quarterback, his injuries recently, and his age. But uh, if everything clicks for him, he could he could be a huge value. Uh, let's uh, finish things up here with tight ends. We got Jack Doyle. We got Trey Burton, who dealing with the calf injury, but it doesn't sound like anything overly serious. He might miss the first week or two, but he'll be back majority of the season, hopefully. What are your thoughts on these tight ends? Is there any value here? I think absolutely, because that Frank Reich scheme is so friendly to the tight end. I call it unsexy upside when you consider Jack Doyle, like, you know, runs a four nine one, just, you know, burly beard, just no- nothing about him screams athleticism. When you draft him in your draft, you're not going to get any oohs or ahs. And it's kind of like Austin Hooper last year, you know, nobody was going out there and sprinting towards Austin Hooper. And then he ended up being the number one fantasy tight end till he got hurt. And that's what I kind of like about unsexy upside is these guys that have no real sizzle, to their stake. They, they, nobody really wants to go and dive in on them. But I think there is plenty of stake to go around here because of the scheme and how relentlessly, you know, third, fifth, fourth, second in terms of top uh, tight end target percentage under Reich these last few years. Uh, and, and yeah, Burton, I think, could carve out a role. But to me, Doyle's the one that's been there. Doyle's the dependable guy. Uh, we've seen Frank Reich even compare him to Zach Ertz just a couple seasons ago. So I, I definitely like Doyle. He falls to, you know, tight end 20 because of that unsexiness and you can take him with a last round pick i think there's going to be more weeks than not you get a nice like five six catches 70 yards a handful of tight uh, touchdowns every now and again but tight end can be so volatile that if you're going for like a an upside stab let's say a guy who has more john smith you know a big athletic freak that could really just become that next mark andrews i love taking those stabs at tight end but it's pretty nice to also take a, a nice buffer like jack doyle where you're getting some floor baked into your lineup um, and it just it balances out those risk reward style picks because I think there's just going to be plenty of steady just volume coming his way and steady production, which is what he has always done. So I really like him, especially you no know, Ebron now. I didn't even mention that fact. You know, such a huge threat in the red zone. What if his touchdowns do spike because Ebron's gone now? So I have Doyle at, at tight end 14, which is. 10 spots ahead of where his ADP is. He's tight end 24, ranked in ADP. So I'm definitely higher on Doyle. I'm really targeting in general the running backs and Taylor and Naeem Hines and then Jack Doyle, maybe even Trey Burton if I'm in like a 25-round, like really deep league just because if something ever happened to Doyle and we've seen Ebron catch, you know, 12 touchdowns or whatever it was a few seasons ago in the the number two role. So there is some sneaky, sneaky late value to Burton too. But I I do, I like Doyle quite a bit more than the regular consensus. Yeah, Doyle just seems like that tight end where, you know, you're going to go out and you take those, you know, those sexier guys, the younger athletic freaks. And if they don't pan out, it it just seems like you're going to end up picking up Burton in week two or three, and he's going to be your solid but spectacular tight end um, that gets you along gets you along week to week all right uh, before we wrap things up here 
any advice, any one player that you're 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 dying on this year? Any any advice for our fantasy owners out here that doesn't have to be Colts related? Yeah, I mean, a couple quick tips I would say is, as I alluded to earlier, pepper running backs early. I think if you can somehow leave your draft with two monster workhorses and they pan out, you set yourself up so much better. The wins, uh, you know, Scott Barrett has a great series called Bell Cower Bus, and he looks at the wins above replacement and how much of a gap, like, replacing McCaffrey was with the next, you know, starter level guy versus the other positions. And it was like a 15 point gap for running backs and only a couple points at the other positions. So hammer running backs early, try to get those bell cows because wide receiver, the, the next point to that is so deep this year, you know, rounds four through six. If I don't have my number one receiver starting round four, I still feel okay because you can get AJ Brown, McLaurin, the C- Seattle guys with Lockett or, or DK. And then T.Y. Hilton, as we said, falls to round five or six Marquise Browns in that range. I can find three receivers I am very happy with going receiver, 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 four, five, six. So that's why I'm comfortable hammering running backs early, uh, sneaking in a, a Mark Andrews if I want to get that elite tight end or obviously Kelsey towards the top of the draft. And then late is always where you got to target your quarterbacks. A couple seasons ago, I did nail Mahomes. So if I was going to say there's there's one like late QB I love, and there's a bunch. There's, there's a ton of really intriguing ones. I love Burrow as a rookie. I think he could just step right in and be a monster. I could see Danny J and those Giants taking a step. But the one I like even more, he goes at quarterback 26 right now. And I have him all the way up at QB 15. That's Teddy Bridgewater uh, is the guy that I think is just going to light it up this year. And people listening are probably like shutting it off now because Bridgewater is so (laughs) bland looking. Like there's nothing exciting about Bridgewater. But you look at everything around him, and I think there's reason to be excited. One, he's just got the yak monsters. So no, the guy doesn't love pushing the, the ball downfield, but he doesn't have to when you got Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel can rip it. Robbie Anderson can take the top off the defense. Those weapons are insane. Then you have Joe Brady come in from LSU. We just talked about Joe Burrow, you know, raving about him. He was mediocre until this guy took over as the pass uh, game coordinator and then lit the world on fire. And, and it's all about speed and space, getting the ball ball to your playmakers, letting them do their thing. He coached Bridgewater at the Saints. He was the the guy as an offensive assistant that was tasked with bringing Bridgewater up. So it's not really a surprise he goes out and gets this guy. Never mind the fact that this defense is absolutely horrendous in the, the probably the juiciest shootout style division of the entire NFL. All that just adds up to them constantly throwing the rock, getting it to their guys to make plays for Bridgewater. I think we're going to see a lot of like 300 yard, two to three TD days that are never really that exciting it's never going to be all these crazy ropes downfield but it's just going to be constantly moving it and constantly playing catch up i think bridgewater is going to end the season as a as a league changer that you can get in your last round so i love making sure i leave my drafts with him even if he's my third qb i don't love taking three qbs but i just have to have teddy bridgewater on my team's most owned player by far right now well there you have folks running backs early wide receivers in the middle rounds and then take teddy bridgewater late uh, Wolf of Roto Streets, thank you for joining us. Tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, so our work is all at rotostreetjournal.com. We breed and feed fantasy wolves. You can find my man Joe's great stuff there, too. Uh, we got a podcast, the Fantasy Fullback Dive, paving paths to 2020 titles. And then me personally, I'm at Roto Street Wolf on Twitter. Uh, we also have the, the all the social medias, Roto Street Journal on Facebook and Instagram, doing tons of live broadcasts, also on YouTube as well. I'd uh, love if you subscribe there. We're trying to get over that 1,000 uh, subscriber uh, benchmark this summer. We're getting close. 
So if you're listening, give us that shout out, give us that follow. We love the live shows. That's kind of my favorite thing to do is the interactive. Give me your questions. Let me answer them on the spot. Uh, you can find those all at YouTube and Facebook as well. All right, great. Well, thanks again, and thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. That was the founder of the Roto Street Journal. We call him the Wolf of Roto Street. Joe, you've had a good relationship with him for a little while, and of course, fantasy football season right now. You just said you had your first draft. This this is prime time right now. Oh, yeah, this is prime fantasy season, uh, so I had to get him on. He actually gave me my first uh, football writing opportunity coming out of college. I still contribute to that website. So go to rotostreetjournal.com for all your fantasy football needs. And for us, you can follow us at Colts Blue Zone on Twitter. You can follow us individually. I am at Dave G underscore sports. Joe is at Roto Street Joe. Our Mike Chapel, still with us in spirit, is at MChapel51. And of course, as we've mentioned, you can find all Mike's work online at fox59.com or cbs4indy.com. We do appreciate you downloading and listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Please subscribe. That would be a big help for us. Please leave a comment for us on Apple iTunes. That'd be great. And uh, just uh, hope to see you here for the rest of the season. You can submit questions to us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone, and we'll be sure to get to those as well as the year is certainly approaching rather quickly right now. So we do thank you once again for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, and we will see you next week.